Hi, this is Megan McHugh, and this is the podcast of Triple R Zero G, a weekly radio show exploring science fiction, fantasy, and historical. Zero G is broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Monday. Hope you enjoy the podcast, and feel free to get in touch with us via our Facebook page or the Triple R website. G'day, welcome aboard the Starship Zero G science fiction, fantasy and historical radio for episode number 1300. <laughs> Ooh, oh, what a monumental goal we've reached. Entitled Miffing Links and our podcast title is Poddemic Productions presents <laughs> Myth 68 and a half. I'm Rob Jan. And Megan McHugh. Now, I just wanted to mention that 1300 sounds like, like a significant year, but it doesn't actually seem to have been all that <laughs> interesting. It was a, a century leap year back in the day. I can't find any Federation starships with the registry oh. of NCC. 1300, unfortunately. But I did find out that Jean de Clisson, who was born in 1300, aka Jean de Belleville and the Lioness of Brittany, was a Breton former noblewoman. She turned privateer to avenge her husband after he was executed for treason by the French king. For over a decade, she was the scourge of the English Channel aboard her flagship, My Revenge. In a squadron of three red-sailed ships with black-painted hulls, known as the Black Fleet, she attacked French ships, often killing all save one aboard, so that that lone survivor might carry the tale to the King of France. She also sacked coastal villages in Normandy and helped supply English troops during the Battle of Cressy in 1346. After her ship was sunk and one of her sons died from exposure while she was adrift, she eventually married an English nobleman and settled in Castle Hennebont on the Brittany coast. So there you go, Jean de Clisson, born in 1300. A pirate! (laughs) (laughs) A little bit of history there. I like that. Well, Myth is all about history. They've been going since, what, 1954? And here Mm. we are with the Melbourne International Film Festival, 68 and a half. Exactly, an unprecedented festival, but um, I think a really exciting, fresh way to do it. And I think I applaud them for going ahead as well. So I guess should we jump right in and uh, we've got our special myth show today. Yes. And I'll start us off with some basic details. All right, so... The festival will run in August, so there are still set festival dates. So it runs from the 6th to the 23rd of August. And now instead of being confined to lovely Melbourne, it will be streaming Australia-wide. So that's one of the great things about this, that you will be able to access it even if you don't live in Melbourne. So I think that's actually a nice little side effect as well. I have a few friends who are going to try to watch things and they don't live in Victoria, so that's a really nice bonus. So as we sort of alluded to and have mentioned, you will be streaming the films from the comfort of your own home so we can all stay safe and isolated. 
And so there's quite a few differences um, for this year. So I'm going to run through sort of how it works. So there's nothing really to be intimidated by. I think it's still going to be, um, it's a very straightforward way of running. So there's no paper program this year, which I was a bit sad about because I do love leafing through the beautiful paper program. Rob's showing me the the one from last year and it's just so nostalgic and, you know, just the big pages and you've got your images and you can just circle all the films you want to watch. But there is the website. So the website that you'll be going to, you can Google it, but it's 2020.mif.com.au. So on the site, you can find all the details of the films and all of the information that I'm going to talk about right now, you can find on that site. So if you're a Myth regular cinema goer, which Rob and I both are, we love Myth, and I'm sure a lot of you out there are as well. Uh, there are some differences such as there is no mini pass or passports this year. So they're doing it a bit differently. So instead of being able to kind of choose your films with your mini pass, they have these bundles, which are hand-picked films across different themes. And I'll run through a couple of those um, in a little bit. So any of, if you have purchased any passes or any gift vouchers earlier in the year before we sort of knew it would be like this, they'll all be valid for next year's festival. There's no app either, so the app was always a really good companion so you could easily uh, keep track of your tickets and the films you were seeing, but there's no app this year, but you can easily view on the website uh, the different films um, and you can view them on your mobile, so it's a mobile-friendly website. So you'll need to create a new account this year. So even if you are a regular Myth goer and you've got a Myth account, you do need to create a special account for this year so you can access the streaming platform. So even uh, if, you, if you're not too sure, just jump onto that website and make a new account and then you'll be able to buy all your tickets and things. So one thing to note is capacity for films, even though it is streaming, uh, it is still limited. So things will still sell out or sell quite fast. So it is a good tip to pre-purchase uh, your tickets for anything that you might want to see. So if you anything we talk about today you think sounds good, doesn't hurt to jump on and purchase uh, your tickets for that. All right, so when will the festival take place? How will it work with session times? So it gives you a little bit more freedom and flexibility, actually. So instead of having sort of set times and days that things will run, there are viewing windows for each film, and they do vary. So if you find a film that you want to watch, just be sure to double-check the dates that will be available on the streaming platform and make sure you watch it during that time. And it's, it's sort of like if you rent, if you're used to renting films online and things like that, you'll be familiar. But as soon as you press play on the majority of the films, you'll have a window to complete the viewing. And that's 30 hours. So once you've pressed play, you'll have 30 hours to have access to watch that. You can rewind, you can pause, all that stuff. But once you've started that, you've got your 30 hours. So does that mean that you can be late to the cinema? Exactly. <laughs> Time is our friend now and you can rustle your popcorn as loud as you like. So you're running on your own schedule to a certain degree, but do make sure you you watch it within that time frame once you've started it. So what, happen- so, what happens if, um, if the feed goes out? Well, that's a good question. So I guess if you have problems with the stream, um, it will still be available for sort of that whole 30 hours for you. Um, and so you would be able to sort of try it again later, but I imagine if you have any kinds of technical issues, you can probably reach out to them. Um, but it's the NBN. How could we possibly have, (laughs) possibly have problems with it? I know it's, it's, it's ironclad, is it not? Um, (laughs) 
So one thing to note, though, is that some of the special films like Opening Night, Closing Night, The Centerpiece and Program Spotlights and sort of there's some previews and things, those screenings do have a smaller viewing window. So I guess the takeaway is just double check when you'll be able to stream the films you want, like what dates they're available and just make sure you even still, you know, before we used to have to have our calendar of when we were going, still jot down kind of when you you need to watch the films. So most of the films you'll be able to watch throughout the whole sort of period, but it's best to just double check and make sure because the films will be, um, all the films will not be available anymore once the festival ends, which is um, sort of that midnight point on Sunday the 23rd. I just realised best tell you how to get your tickets to go along. So uh, like I said, it's best to pre-purchase. There are some pre-selected bundles. So have a look through there. There's sort of a documentary one, different things like that. They're really great um, value. They look really wonderful. And so you basically pay one set price and you have access to all the films in that bundle. So if that if you're sort of, oh, I'm never sure what to watch, have a look and see if any of the bundles will suit you. Uh, and closer to the festival date. So as we sort of approach that starting date in August, there'll be an app that you can download, which is where you will watch the films that you've purchased. So um, when you purchase your tickets, so then just, you know, keep being aware of when you'll actually be able to access that platform. I had a little look at the prices and things. So it looks like a lot of the special films are about, um, will be $20 to, for a ticket. And most of the other films who, that aren't spotlighted or featured films, they're at $14. So there's also a lot of free content there. So all of the shorts bundles are free, which is amazing. So you can go and watch all those short films that are featured for free. And there's a couple, there's a couple of other films too that are for free as well. So it's worth having a look on there, even if you want to just check out some of those shorts. And the address to check it out is 2020.myth.com.au. Thanks, Megan. That's that's a very concise summation of what we can expect with Myth sixty eight and a half. Um, a couple of points there. Uh, I notice that uh, because they're doing it hard, a lot of the the traditional festival venues, the takeaway cafes, the you know the the restaurants and so on, there's still some of those are still being patrons and sponsors and co partners for the for the MIF this year. Um, if you're more centrally located, like in the CBD or surrounding suburbs, you could still do takeaway from a lot of those places just to yeah. just to help uh, people keep going because everyone's doing it tough at the moment in the community. Um, I do wonder if people watching it to state will want to put on some pretty serious antiviral software measures because we are in uh, Plague Central here in Melbourne. Uh, and don't keep destroying our rep, Rob. <laughs> <laughs> what, what can I say? I am the destroyer. Um, one one interesting thing: usually, when people go off to the MIF, they get what we call the miffles <laughs> because you're in the crowded cinemas with people and and scuttling between rain swept venues. That's not going to happen this year. Exactly. You'll be cozied <laughs> up on the couch. You can, you know. And I think there's a lot of things. I mean, I, I'm going to miss the vibe and the atmosphere of the cinema and how people always clap at the end. But I think that overall, I still think it's a wonderful way that we can still experience the festival. And, you know, I think that it's just the safe thing to do. So, And oddly enough, this this year it's the, uh, the chance for, um, for the audience to experience MIF 
the way a lot of us critics and reviewers actually experience it. Because Very I, true. I, I started off watching it in the MIF office, like review screeners. Then there were videotapes issued, then discs, and now it's online screeners. So you'll be pretty much doing what, what Zero G does exactly to review the films. Now, I think off the back of that, we'll continue with our little uh, musical sojourn with the late great Ennio Morricone and in 2015 after using Morricone's back catalogue of music in four movies including commissioning a song from Morricone for Django Unchained Quentin Tarantino finally landed him for nearly a full score's worth of music for his revenge western The Hateful Eight the first western that Morricone had scored since 1981 And it's a relentless opening track here, the last stage to Red Rock from the Hateful Eight soundtrack. Hello, this is Paul McGann, the I in Withnell and I. And I wouldn't listen to Zero G on 3 FM without serious medication. You are listening to 3 FM, as Paul McGann said, and you always want to listen to the doctor when he gives those little orders. Now, that was... Quentin Tarantino's The Hateful Eight soundtrack, but the actual track was composed and written by Ennio Morricone, and it was the last stage to Red Rock, or something extremely complex in Italian. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so we're back to picking the genre eyes out of the 2020 Melbourne International Film Festival, as a long-running tradition of Zero-G going back to 1994 this year. A little bit special because it's all going to be online, although not entirely, but we'll get back to that a little bit later. And so let's start with the science fiction category, which is, after all, on our masthead. And the first film is Atlantis. It's a feature science fiction film. It's directed by Valentin Vasyanovich, who's Ukrainian, and he's a producer and director known for this film, Black Level, in 2017, and the magnificently titled Crepuscule in 2014. Now, it's the story of a soldier suffering from PTSD, and he befriends a young volunteer, and they're trying to somehow come to terms with their war-torn society. And it's the year 2525, and the Ukraine has survived its conflict with Russia, and the cost has been enormous. Actually, I think it might be 2025 there. I think it'd be far too highly advanced to go there for that one. Uh, Although I could be wrong. It might be just one of those cut-and-paste errors. You never know. Anyway, um, I've got a feeling that they've probably done a lot of uh, the traditional just pointing the camera at the actual war-torn ruins in order to set this up. I don't know for sure, but that's usually a good guess when you're dealing with this sort of film. So our next film on the science fiction slate is He Can't Live Without Cosmos. So it is an animated short and it's directed by Konstantin Bronzit. It's from Russia. And uh, it's based, it's a young boy 
and isn't just destined to become a cosmonaut. He's born one already wearing a space suit. <laughs> so as discussed, so the, um, the shorts are available in the bundle. So there's an animated shorts bundle, which you can view for free. So you still should book those. So have a look on there. And he, uh, Constantin Bronzet has actually won, um, the MIF 2015 best animation short film award. Um, and, so, and has also been nominated for Oscars and things. So I think that um, it'll be pretty interesting to see what he's done with this story. And, you know, obviously these things are always a bit of a metaphor for something else. Uh, and so I love a good animated short, and especially if it's kind of spacey themed, I think it sounds pretty cool. Mm. Yes, I've got a, a lot of time for um, Russian cosmonautery. So... Human Nature is another short in the science fiction category at the MIF. It's directed by Sver Fredriksson from the Netherlands, and it's a stop-animated film that explores a world where humans are not the self-styled lords of creation. I kind of like that idea. Maybe from the uh, the critter's point of view for once, Human Nature. <laughs> Uh, the next one is Mother Bunker. So it's another animated sci-fi short, and this one's by George Metaxas, <laughs> and it is Australian. So it's sort of a combo Australia-USA, and it's pretty much um, a, a sort of a robot stop animation, stop motion animation. So a uh, robot army hold up in a bunker, are entertained by one of their fellow soldiers uh, sort of dressed up in uh, kind of a human drag, I guess, for the robot army. So that one looks pretty interesting and I love a good stop animation. Well, I saw the trailer for that on Vimeo just recently and it does look like a hoot. You know, excellent of the, of the robot carefully applying their makeup and putting on their costume. <laughs> All right, the trouble with being born. Now, this one's actually no laughing matter. It's a feature science fiction film directed by Sandra Wollner from Germany. She's a, an Austrian film director and screenwriter. Uh, back in 2016, she made her feature directorial, directorial debut with The Impossible Picture. Uh, which featured, I think, uh, the life of a Viennese family in the 1950s. And she's directed this Trouble with Being Born and also co-written it. Now, it's a, about a human form android resembling a 10-year-old girl, and this android is exploited by a succession of humans in what seems to be a grueling examination of the definition of human and AI rights. Now, as you can imagine, because they've actually used a 10-year-old girl, uh, Lena Watson, to play the android, this is a controversial film. And they seem to have gone to great lengths to try and protect her from the content of this film, which obviously skirts around some pretty problematical issues. And it has got warnings on it and it has been controversial when it was uh, premiered at the 70th Berlin International Film Festival. So look out for this one or not as the case may be. I can't call it as I see it because I haven't seen this film, but it does sound like it does address uh, a, a problem that is going to be prevalent in the 21st century with androids and 
Well, you know, enough said. The director and co-writer Sandra Wallner has referred to the film as an antithesis to Pinocchio. So, yeah. Interesting. Yeah, okay. a, con- a confronting one, that one, The Trouble with Being Born. And this is what science fiction often does. It holds up a, a mirror, even if it is a black mirror, to technology and the interface with human beings. Uh, the next one is Wade. So this is another one that delves into some deeper themes. So it's directed by Kalp Sangvi Upamanya Bhattacharya. I'm so sorry. <laughs> and it's Indian. And this one as well, it's some beautiful animation, but uh, it's sort of depicting uh, a family living in India and they're displaced by climate change and rising sea levels and they have to kind of fight for survival um, as they come across some ravenous tigers. And it's very um, kind of details the effects of climate change on India. And there is sort of a little warning in there. There's a depiction of violence against a child, so just take note of that if it sounds of interest. It's an animation, uh, but it does have sort of sci-fi horror thriller elements. And so I think that one will be very interesting and it's got an environmental message sort of um, at its core there. So, and it's been described as chilling. So I think that one actually sounds pretty, pretty intriguing. Chilling in a warming world, a bit of cli-fi there. Exactly. This is one that both Megan and I are looking forward to. Last and First Men. It's a feature-length science fiction film directed by Johan Johansson, the Icelandic composer and, in this case, director. Mm. Um, now, Tilda Swinton narrates this film. It's much anticipated. It's a 16 millimeter cinematic adaptation of science fiction writer Olaf Stapledon's apocalyptic 1930 science fiction novel, which I have read. And mm. Uh, just to background you on um, Olaf Stapledon, uh, he was uh, a British philosopher and author of science fiction. Uh, he's in the uh, the Science Fiction and Fantasy Hall of Fame. And I can remember reading a lot of his work back in the 1970s. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's a bit, a bit beyond that from now, but Last and First Men came out in 1930. It had a sequel called Last Men in London, a lot, a lot less well-known. Uh, Odd John which I've recently reread, Star Maker, another great classic, and Nebula Maker, which is um, drafts of his book Star Maker as well. He, he has a lot of nonfiction in the philosophical vein, and many collections have been published about his work. Now, Last and First Men is a story of the near and far future, and it basically describes the history of mankind across two billion years. In, in 18 different, um, well, I'll call them chapters, but it's basically the different rise and falls of different human species, which was a, a theory that he that was uh, quite current then about um, a cyclic view of civilization. So he influenced other writers like Brian Aldous, C.S. Lewis, James Blish, Arthur C. Clarke, and you can see that a lot in his work, and H.P. Lovecraft. So the main entry point into this for me was um, Olaf Stapledon's work, but Megan's uh, going in there from Johan Johansson, I think. 
Yeah, so he's a composer. He's done a lot of work on film, and I I love his stuff. His compositions are beautiful. He did sort of some scoring for Theory of Everything and Arrival, and his work is lovely. So if you've not heard much of his stuff, or you probably have but haven't kind of logged it, look it up. And I was very, very intrigued by kind of the mixture here of, um, you know, his involvement with this and also the compositions in it and things like that. So I think I'm, I'm really looking forward to that one. It's, it's sort of, uh, selling fast as well. So if that sounds of interest to you, make sure you jump on, um, sooner rather than later and have a look at the details for that. I think one of the things about this film that intrigues me is it, it takes a leaf from a lot of Eastern European science fiction, but, mm. Uh, especially in films, and one of the things about that is, you know, a lot of the Soviet-era science fiction films, they're sort of commissioned um, as bravely walking and flying and rocketeering into the into the uh, the collective future of the of the planet. And mm-hmm. in this case, they're actually used a lot of um, cinematography of old, obscure, brutalist Soviet monuments to represent mm-hmm. different alien worlds and different species of mankind, which I think is is quite amusing and satirical in its own way. All right, so we'll have a track here from Last and First Men, Johan Johansson, with a whole bunch of other people working on the track as well in terms of, I imagine, uh, being the uh, the musicians and the and the uh, the vocalists too. Of course, his work does remind me of his absolutely terrific soundtrack for Arrival. And the good thing about this is this soundtrack is actually available right now. Um, I was able to get a track off of um, iTunes, so the entire album's there. And actually, I'm actually looking forward to just listening to the whole soundtrack album for this one of Last and First Men. And this is the, the prelude to the whole movie. Hi, this is Corey McAbee from Stingray Sam and the American Astronaut, and you're listening to Zero G on 3RRR FM. He does the things that folks don't do that need to be done. Beautiful piece of music there from Johan Johansson uh, from Last and First Men. That was Prelude. Uh, so we should also mention as well that there's going to be uh, there's a special sort of mini performance uh, film that's going to screen before that actual feature and that will involve uh, the Melbourne Symphony Orchestra playing a piece of Johansson's music so that'll be available that'll be screened before the feature so definitely check that out I think that will be a really lovely rendition of some of his composition and there's also a Myth Talk, Art of the Score. So that's a podcast and they often do sort of uh, rundowns of different scores and different composers and how they link with different films. And so this is sort of a series that they've been doing for a long time with Myth and they're doing one on the film music of Johan Johansson. And so you'll be able to learn a little bit more about him and his work and it's mainly focusing on the uh, score to Arrival and also the Last and First Men score that, of course, is uh, accompanying the film that we just had a bit of a chat about. Hmm. Yes. Now, that was the science fiction content of this year's myth. Of course, there's a reduced number of films or perhaps just exactly the right number to fill the myth 68 and a half. So instead of like four or 500 films, we've got about 100 or so. And into the fantasy category here, Bombay Rose. Now, we mentioned uh, an animated Indian short before. This one's a full-length fantasy movie directed by Jitanjali Rao, 
And this is an Indian Qatari French and United Kingdom production. It's a Bollywood-styled animated movie musical about a Hindu flower-selling dancer who becomes romantically entangled with a Muslim man. So I think this is actually going to be something to watch in terms of its animation style. Uh, The director was an applied artist, and so she comes from that particular aspect where, you know, you work on a few animated films and then you get into becoming a director yourself. That's a, a tried and true sort of progression. And she's done quite a, a, a few excellent films um, in short sort of forms first, and now this is her big debut as, a, as an animated featurist. So I'm, I'm told this is something very special. Um, I think there was a, a film we watched many myths ago, um, <laughs> The Book of Kells, and that, mm, yeah. that, that was a, uh, a an Irish animated film, and I think this one's going to have the same sort of cultural uh, flowering for Bombay Rose, <laughs> so to speak. <laughs> so looking uh, out for that one. So the next one is actually one of the program spotlight films. So that has a more limited kind of time that you can watch it. Uh, it's called Ellie and Abby and Ellie's Dead Aunt. <laughs> so this one I actually did see the trailer for when they did the program announcement. Uh, they showed some of the trailers and sort of discussed a bit about this year's festival. And it looks like quite a bit of fun. So it's a little Australian, not a little, it's an Australian film and it's directed by Monica Zanetti. And it's a comedy and it's sort of got this, obviously this fantastical element where uh, Ellie, she's a student and she sort of has a, she likes one of her classmates, Abby, but uh, she's not really sure how to win her heart. And so her aunt appears from beyond the grave (laughs) to kind of help her out and give her a little bit of that, a little extra push. So it looks like just sort of a really um, lovely bit of comedy that also has a lot of heart. It's got um, Zoe to Tarakas. I'm very sorry about that pronunciation. He's in Wentworth, which is the Australian TV show. And it sort of deals obviously with a lot of LGBTQIA plus uh, issues and about family and sort of traversing that path along, you know, sort of finding who you are and and having people sort of accept who you are. So that one, like I mentioned, is a special spotlight film. So if you're interested in that, have a look because uh, it will sell fast. So Mm. that's Ellie and Abby. And Ellie's dead aunt. <laughs> a pity she's not a giant aunt. That was also work in zero-G context. But this is the fantasy section anyway. Uh, a film called The Fever is another feature-length fantasy. It's directed by Maya Dairin. It's um, a Brazilian film. And a city security guard has visions across the boundaries of his urban workplace and his former rainforest home. So a bit of magic realism there, I think. The next uh, one is a short called Ghosts, and this one's a Korean little Korean short, and it does have English subtitles, so fear not, and it's directed by Park Ji-yoon, and it's animated, and so it's part of the animated shorts bundle, and it's basically about a couple who become ghosts in their own home because they're just in a bit of a rut, and it's sort of a, kind of a line animation, and it sounds like it's going to be pretty unique, a <laughs> uh, bit of abstraction in there. And also it says in here, orifices, liquids, figures melding into one another. I mean, if that doesn't grab you, I'm intrigued already. 
<laughs> so I think it's obviously around isolation and disconnection. And I think that's something that we could all relate to at this time. So I think Ghosts, animated short from Korea, very interesting. Another one from the far fringes of the American empire, <laughs> Hawaii, that is. Uh, it's directed by Hinalea Moana Wong Kalu, Dean Hamer and Joe Wilson. It's called Kapaya Mahu. It's an animated short in the fantasy vein, and it's about the myth of the healing Mahu boulders in the country of sorry in the state of hawaii the great state of hawaii as i'm sure at least one president has probably enthused over the years so the next one is morona's fantastic tale so this is from france uh it's directed by Ankar damien uh a dog's life (laughs) sounds very sad a dog's life flashes through her mind while she dies lying after a lies dying after a car collision, but (laughs) it's sort of a bit of a meditation on life, obviously. And so it's very imaginative. The art style looks quite whimsical. And I think even though it's that premise sounds quite sad, I think obviously what it's trying to do is kind of talk about the joys of life and where it can take you. So I think it's going to be very interesting. There's a bit of a voiceover in there and uh, sort of it says it's sort of around how to become better people as well as better pet owners. You know, I, I started getting misty-eyed when I read the description of that. I know. It actually, I mean, that's a very, that one sentence that I said at the first line, very sad. But as you kind of look at the little synopsis, I'd encourage you to have a look and see the art style. And I think you'll you'll sort of see what they're trying to do. And I actually think it would be, I'm very interested in it. So, A short fantasy film called Pinion, as in um, wing feathers, I guess. Uh, it's directed by Asuka Sylvie. It's an Australian film. Uh, afflicted by a mystery illness, a young boy finds himself in an equally mysterious hospital where things are not what they seem. So many of those strange facilities in the genre of fantasy. Pinion. Another animated short called Something to Remember. This one comes from Sweden and it's directed by Nikki Lindroth von Bar. And it's uh, another little sort of stop motion uh, fantasy fable myth and it's around pairing a lullaby with what it describes in its own words as a fatalistic message. So it's another one about grief, mortality, that kind of thing. But it looks like it's going to be a little bit absurd, a little bit weird. So I think stop motion animation would be kind of a really nice pairing with that. So that's another short, and that one comes in the shorts animated shorts bundle as well, something to remember. Life, death, and the whole dynamation thing, as Ray Harryhausen would say. Now, The Tango of the Widower and Its Distorting Mirror is a feature fantasy film. It's directed by Valeria Sarmiento and Paul Ruiz, and it's a Chilean film. Uh, it's the They considered that this film was lost. It was the debut feature of Chilean surrealist filmmaker Raul Ruiz, and it's completed by his widow and creative collaborator Valeria, half a century after it was initially made. It's the ghost of a movie, so it's appropriate that it's about a ghost. Now, the uh, filmmaker Raul, he was um, uh, an experimental Chilean filmmaker, and he directed more than 100 films 
he lived between 1941 and 2011. So I think that uh, the, it's important to note that his um, partner, Valeria, went on and she became a considerable filmmaker in her own right. And, of course, is actually known as a collaborator with her husband on his artwork and also um, a film, a talented um, filmmaker in her own right. So it's quite important to realise that this is the, that extra distance between the film has been added in by Valeria. So I actually look forward to, to seeing that one. I'm a fairly... Um, I'm a fairly strange fan of uh, surrealist <laughs> cinema. <laughs> and it's called, and I've got to say the title again, I just love it, The Tango of the Widower and Its Distorting Mirror at this year's MIF, Melbourne International Film Festival. So the next one is one of MIF's centrepiece films for this year's festival. It's called Wendy. So it's a bit of an adventure fantasy drama. Now, this is the much anticipated by me and a lot of people follow-up by Ben Zeitlin. He directed Beasts of the Southern Wild, which came out in 2012. And this one, again, has a limited capacity and so will sell fast. So have a look into it if you're interested. But it's his film, Beast of the Southern Wild, is exquisite. It is such an amazing film. Have you seen it, Rob? No, oddly enough. It's brilliant. I, th- I think about it regularly. So this is his follow-up film, and it's really uh, about our well-known story of the boy who didn't want to grow up, but it's from the perspective of Wendy. Oh. And so it's a... Yeah, it's a bit of a reimagining and it's set in the American South. So sort of, uh, you know, there's a lot of layers there and it sort of intermixes that Peter Pan mythology along with this real snapshot of American life. I saw the trailer for this one as well in the program rundown, the program launch, and it looks it looks very interesting. I think you'll sort of recognize your style if you're familiar with Beasts of the Southern Wild, and it's fantastical. It's very emotive, and there's a lot of um, a lot of heart in it right away. But it deals with a lot of themes, like Beasts of the Southern Wild dealt with a lot of themes around grief and abandonment and loss, and it looks like this one is going to tackle some similar themes around innocence and and then some darker themes to combat sort of that light. So I think it'll be an interesting take to see what he does with it. I mean, Peter Pan interpretations are a dime a dozen, but uh, it'll be, I'm keen to see what Zeitlin will do with it. Um, It doesn't grab me as much as a concept as Beasts of the Southern Wild because I'm a little, I love that movie so much, I'm a little worried about um, going into a follow-up, but that one, Wendy, showing the myth, it's a centrepiece film. So have a look into that one if you're interested. Mm. Uh, Wood Child and Hidden Forest Mother. (laughs) It's a short animated fantasy film. It's directed by Stephen Irwin. No, not that Stephen Irwin, because it's a British film. Actually, I think that title says it all when you think about it, Wood Child and Hidden Forest Mother. Uh, Not said. Yeah. All right, so let's have a little track here, and I think we'll skip over to an Ennio Morricone track of, well, maybe skipping is perhaps not the uh, the mode of locomotion for this one. It's the Exorcist 2 soundtrack. It actually is quite jaunty. <laughs> Triple R. Triple R. 
This is Ashley C. Williams. I played Lindsay in The Human Centipede and the title character in Julia. You're listening to Zero G on 3 R. Ennio Morricone channeling a bit of Jalo there for the Exorcist 2 soundtrack album. <laughs> oh, dear. All right, so we're into the horror section of the Melbourne International Film Festival. Indeed. So now we are taking a look at La Llorona. So this one is Spanish. Uh, it's from Mexico. It's a Mexico-Guatemala uh, film, and it is directed by J. Rowe. Bustamante. And this one is a very interesting horror. So it's psychological horror and it's kind of about this um, dictator, I'm guessing, a dictator who is acquitted of his crimes and then sort of retires to his mansion but uh, has justice reached out to him from beyond the grave, as they say, to reap its own kind of horrors inside his household. And so it's sort of about um, intergenerational trauma and the different, I think, I mean, there's a line here in the synopsis that I think summarizes it way better than I could. La Llorona is a critique of the intergenerational privilege the ruling class reaps from ordinary people's suffering. So that one I think is going to be pretty full on, but I think that one sounds very interesting. So it's based on the Latin American legend of the weeping woman. It is called La Llorona, and that one is, uh, yeah, showing this year's myth. All right. So with the horror section here, we're going into the Mugai, which is a short horror movie. And Mugai is the Bunjalung word for ghost. It's directed by John Bell. It's an Australian short horror film. And we know John Bell from Clever Man, where he was a writer and actor. Mm. So, yeah, looking forward to the Mugai. Sounds a little bit like the, um, what's the one? The, is it the Bobadook? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, something like that. Uh, Interesting. Mm. Uh, Nimic is up next. So this is a short and very anticipated by me. It's directed by Yorgos Lathamos, who we know from Killing of a Sacred Deer, The Favourite, The Lobster. He is, his stuff is amazing. And so it's a Germany, UK, USA production. It is a short, so it's screening as part of the International Shorts Bundle. And now it's about uh, a strange encounter and then a stranger chain of events that follows on from that. So it, it stars Matt Dillon. So he's a cellist. And then there's kind of this weird Groundhog Day but creepier thing that happens to him. And it looks to be very unsettling, very lathamos like and i think it's going to be a bit of a meditation on i mean who knows what because i will watch anything that that dude does so that one is called mimic it is a short can only be viewed as part of the shorts bundle okay there's a new section here well not, there's, the next section is documentaries and there's the leadership which is a feature science documentary directed by lee bear and it's uh, an Australian film. 76 women scientists go on an expedition to Antarctica where gender equality in STEM background the challenges facing the environment, the leadership is it is known as. And following up to that, we've got sort of a um, five-piece series called Women Make Film, a new road movie through cinema in five parts. So they're all features, they're all several hours long, but they're documentary and they are looking through sort of a historical look at women's role in film. And so this one is 
directed by Mark Cousins, and it's sort of spanning 120 years of cinema. It's narrated by the likes of Jane Fonda, Tilda Swinton, Sharmila Tagore, Deborah Winger, and plenty of other people. It's a real celebration of um, the role of women that women have had in cinema. Not a big enough role if you ask me, but I think this would really be a great piece of documentary to sink your teeth into. Lots of content there. So that is Women Make Film, A New Road Movie Through Cinema, parts one to five. And Mark Cousins, the director and film critic, uh, he's best known for the 15-hour 2011 documentary, The Story of Film and Odyssey, which really, that describes it. And at the very start of that, he did actually talk a lot about women's early, uh, contribution to early cinema, particularly in the United States. So I look forward to seeing this as an intelligent expansion of that early promise. Absolutely. A film I want to see or listen to at least is Speak So I Can See You. And this is a uh, uh, one about Radio Belgrade, which um, houses one of Europe's oldest radio stations. And it's about the building too. So um, since they've been on air for about 90 years, it's a soundscape of both its historical content and architectural heritage. And this is Speak So I Can See You. It's directed by... Marija Stonajic, and it's a Serbian-Croatian-Quatarian film. Uh, the next doco up is Martin Maguila, in his own words. And so fashion doco, and I love a good fashion doco. So this one is directed by Rainer Holtzimmer. It's Germany-Belgium kind of uh, collaboration there. This one is about the avant-garde designer uh, Martin Maguila, and he is reclusive. I don't I don't know who he is, but um, he is famously quite reclusive. And so it's really having a look at his life and his different achievements and the influence that he has had on the fashion industry. And it includes interviews with Jean-Paul Gaultier and, um, yeah, just really kind of follows the creative but reclusive life of this incredible man. Mm. Uh, Well, in terms of uh, documentaries, we've got some um, uh, quite a few other ones there in this year's MIF, but we're about run our course for today. Um, so we'll talk about some more MIF films next week, of course, in the second part of our MIF 68 and a half special. As we do every year, we'll have a picking uh, picking more genre eyes out of the <laughs> the. The myth. I'm just having a, a flashback to the thing from another world there and thinking about how many eyeballs there were to be picked. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so there's historical movies to go and quite a few in the miscellaneous category mm-hmm. as well. So, all right, today we're going to go out with Mr. Bowie and a track called Cracked Actor, which mm-hmm. uh, was originally released on the Aladdin Sane album back in 73. And, uh, well, it's really about um, a Hollywood star who has an encounter with a prostitute and there's lots of different allusions in this one to all sorts of naughtiness. And, well, you know, it was Mr Bowie, but we figured that since we were talking about cinema a lot today, Cracked Actor would be the way to go. And congratulations to the MIF for continuing on in the face of considerable adversity to produce an all-online digital myth for this year, Melbourne International Film Festival. So after this, we will have Joe Brunatic coming in with Astral Glamour, 
And thank you to Kayla Larson, our podcaster, without whom this show would not be producible at the moment, and also the technical support we've had from Triple R. And indeed, our partners, uh, Gail Adams and... And Carl Knapp. Hmm. And thank you, Megan. We'll see you again next week. Thank you, Rob. G'day, this is Rob Jan. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Triple R's Zero G, a weekly radio show exploring science fiction, fantasy and historical. Zero G is broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia every Monday. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via our Facebook page or the Triple R website.